Praise the Lord. Remain standing if you have your Bibles. Let's go to the book of Acts chapter 20 tonight. The book of Acts chapter 20. I've referenced the tabernacle Leviticus 16 and 2 for the last few weeks. And if you're visiting with us, you can go back and they'll give you the CD for free of the past services. But for those of you that have been here with me, I'm not going back in review tonight because I want to get right in to where we left off last week. Tonight we're going to talk about humility and how that we must have humility. And without that, we cannot have the glory of God. Even though he says the Father has given the glory to the Son, and the glory of the Son, or given to the Son, Jesus says, I now give to the church. Listen to me. By doing that, glory is the manifested presence of Almighty God. You can't have God without glory, and where there is glory, there is God. 2 Corinthians 3 says, there's more glory in you than that was on Moses' face when he came down from the mountain. What that means is, since we've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, God lives inside of us. Can somebody say amen? Well, I want God not only inside of me, but I want the church to be glorified. And I want us doing, doing that in such a manner that we are so glorified by God, his presence among us, lives are transformed daily like in the book of Acts. But two things push the glory of God away more so than anything else in the church outside of gross sin. Last week we talked about when there's not unity in the church and how that dysfunction and lack of unity will push God away. Push his presence out. God's not going to tag his name to where a place where there's dysfunction and not unity. Doesn't mean we're going to agree on everything. That's not what he's saying. But it means we agree on the main thing, which is Jesus Christ. Amen. Now tonight we pick up with the second part. I want you to get ready. I'm, I'm ready for this tonight. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church, the leadership. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you. This is leadership skill number one. Look at my life. I am who I say I am. Serving, which is the duty of every believer, serving the Lord with all humility and with many tears and trials which happened to me. Let's just stop right there. I may move forward, but those three points alone are enough to teach for the next three weeks. And really, I just want to get to point number one there. Would you stretch your hand this way, please? I want God to touch us tonight. Brother, would you pray that the body would have ears to hear, please? You may be seated tonight. The sin that wrecked my life before salvation, even though that my body and flesh was so attracted to alcohol, it was something that affected my family for generations. Alcohol was something that every man outside of my grandfather, my grandfather was the only one. Alcohol ravaged my family and it enticed me. But to be honest with you, that sin was probably not the gross sin of my life before salvation. I was a very arrogant and prideful man. Prideful. I look back now, I really had no reason to be prideful, but in my mind at that time, Kevin at 17, I thought I was somebody. 
Looking back now at 39, I realize I really wasn't much back then. But at that time, I was a very prideful person. And after I came to the Lord through salvation, he began to show me who I really was. And without him, I was absolutely nothing. And because of that, I understood how pride is so dangerous. And no wonder the Bible said, pride cometh before a fall. If we want God's presence, this tabernacle picture, from the holy place to the most holy place, bypassing the three pieces of furniture, now in the holies of holies, the presence of God, is hovering up on the mercy seat there. I'm not going to break that down for you. I've done that now for almost three months. But that glory that was there upon that is now living in us as a New Testament believer. It's now not glorified us to be trophies that we can exalt ourselves, but trophies to the world saying that what they could not do, I did in them through my blood and my blood covenant. And not only do I choose to glorify individuals, it's not the individual that I'm trying to promote. He was saying though, but I want the glory that's on me and the glory that's on Nikki and the glory that's on Dot's generation. When they come together, then therefore the church is glorified. And when the church is glorified, therefore the church is powerful. And when the church is powerful, it turns communities upside down. It pushes drug dealers to one or two places to an altar of repentance or out the town because you're not going to have our children any longer. That's the glory of Almighty God. With that, when Satan cannot get us to have gross sin in our lives, he'll do two things. He'll get you and I fighting amongst ourselves. And when we're fighting amongst ourselves, God's glory will not be here. That doesn't mean pastor is always right. You know, when we use that scripture with our wives in the past where you've got to obey me. I'm, I'm the head of the house. It's not, it's when you really understand, man, what that scripture really means. It just means when there's a dysfunction or a, a question in a home, the wife yields to the husband to keep unity. And what happens at that moment, it puts immense pressure on a man to make the right choice. Can somebody say amen? And what that means, then I've got to walk with God. I've got to walk with him so I can keep that unity. She's not submitting to me because I am the best. She is submitting there to make sure that there's unity in the house and not dysfunction. Are you hearing me tonight? It's the same way in the church. We have order and leadership. We have things set up in the church and there's times I yield to councilmen and there's other times that deacons yield to me. And I may yield to you and you may yield to me and we may not understand why but we do so. Why? Because you're my brother and you're my sister and instead of me getting my way, Paul preached this, Paul said to the Corinthian church, I'm not worried about you getting your way. I don't care if you get your feelings hurt. He said I just want the church to go forward in Jesus name. Can somebody say amen tonight? <clears throat> that was last week. Now we pick up with the second part. Not only should we be unified, but we should be humble in God's presence. That pride that I talked about earlier, God went to work on me in my life and let me know that I had nothing to be pride, prideful about. That my, my rags, my life, my sin was as filthy rags. And with a lack of unity and a lack of humility, if North Walhalla is going to be who God's called her to be, we must be unified and we must be humble. We cannot brag about our gifts because we did not create our gifts. I'm going to talk about that in a few moments. 
How can a leader brag about what they have? Have you ever heard somebody sing? I, I love when Crystal sung a while ago. I, I love when, when Joey and I, our choir and my beautiful bride, let me brag on her. One thing I love about her, she won't take 30 minutes and give you a story. She's not. She's just going to get up there and not say anything. But when you start hearing her sing, you hear the anointing of God. I know how she lives. I, I see her live daily. She's humble with it. The other, other Sunday morning, she came and sung a new song. What you don't know is that for 40 minutes the night before, she drove around this parking lot. I, I thought she left me. I didn't know where she was. So, so, so I called her and I said, baby, is something wrong? She said, I can't do it. I can't sing this song. I, it's not in me. She said, she said, Pastor Wade, she told me, she said, I can't do it. She said, I can't. I said, God's called you to sing. You are anointed to sing. You work. You position yourself. You humble yourself in the mighty hand of God and you let God use you. That next Sunday, we didn't even get to preach that Sunday. They sang that song for about 40 minutes. Let me tell you, that's what God is looking for tonight at the North Wall Hall of Church of God. When we humble ourselves in the mighty hand of God and we say, God, we want your glory. And we know that Isaiah 48 says, you will not share your glory with nobody. It doesn't mean that God will not put his glory in us. It means though that God will not let his glory be stolen by anybody in the flesh tonight. I, I wasn't gonna go here, but I gotta go here. Luke 14 says, they were rebuking Jesus. I'm gonna use this, this row right here because one of these three, there's probably a heathen in one of these three right here, amen? <laughs> he says, they were rebuking him about doing something on the Sabbath and there were some flaws that they, saw, they, they thought they saw in Jesus and he rebukes them and then all of a sudden, Brother Wade says, he noticed how they sat down. Does it seem like much? But to him, it was. And Ronnie, this is what he says. He says, he watched them how they came in. He said, and one came in, Luke 14. He says, one came in and he sat down at the most important seat. And Jesus watched these religious leaders come in. And he says then, he says, I'll tell you what, when you come into a banquet, a feast, or a church, take not the highest seat. That's what he says. He says, because if you take, let's just use this, the highest seat. It would, it would be a rectangle table, and the seat would be like where the, the father sits at. Amen. Anybody ever seen the Waltons? Anybody ever seen the Waltons? You know where Papa sat at the end of the table? Uh, that's the seat of honor. Young people are like, who? And the older people are like, oh yeah, preacher, I know you're talking about tonight. And so this is, the, this is the highest seat. I'm gonna use you for a moment. He walks in with arrogance in his life and pride, and he sits down and he says, I'm the best here. I'm the greatest man here. There's nobody like me. I'm the best looking. I drive the best car. I'm in the best shape. I have the prettiest wife. I did this. I did that. The church can't make it without me. And Jesus looks at him and says, sir, don't ever do that. He said, because there will come somebody greater than you. And watch what he says. He says, what with me? He says, and then they will go to you and say, sir, I know you think you're the best, but last night you were the best but somebody greater is here tonight. And the Bible says with shame, shame, sit right here, you will get up with shame and no honor and they will sit you somewhere else. How many people have you seen to lift themselves up so high? I'll never get one early Sunday morning on Easter Sunday. We were doing a sunrise service and this lady got up to sing and she just got up there in all her pomp and circumstance and you thought that she was heaven come down and she started singing and she had a pretty voice but there was absolutely no anointing on her, her voice. She had every 
every move just right. She had every flip of the hair just right. Everything was just right. And everybody else looked like at her like, woman, you may sing pretty, but you're not singing for Jesus. Then all of a sudden when she sat down, they put another little girl up there who didn't say anything. He didn't know how to stand. She didn't know how to hold the microphone. She really didn't know much about nothing. She came out from the woods somewhere out in a rural town. But that little girl was like David on a sheep field. And they put her up there that Sunday morning. They put a microphone in her hand. And when that little girl started singing, the glory of God came in that place, Tony. And you talking about having church? What are you saying, preacher? I'm telling you tonight that nothing in us is good. Nothing in us is so good that we can exalt it on our own measure. We're not here to praise the flesh of man or the talent of man. We're here to lift up the name of Almighty God. And he says when he is lifted up, he will draw all men unto himself. He says, just using you, he says not only will he sit you down, but he will go to that one who takes the lowest seat. That's you again. He says, and the one that comes in in the lowest seat, he will go to him and say, sir, I know you don't think that you're all that, but we've watched your life and you are a blessing to us. You don't deserve to stay there. That's your seat right there. And he said, the Bible says, and this is not in my notes, but I, I had to tell you that story. With honor, he is moved. Let me tell you, my Bible still says, God promotes one man and sits down another. God will promote, I'm gonna say it again. God will promote one woman and sit down another. When this church realizes that our dependency is not on the backs of flesh, but on the back of the Holy Ghost, and we lean upon him for all things, we, don't, we can't even pay a bill without God. We can't sing a song without God. Is anybody listening tonight? I can't be a good daddy without God. I can't be a good husband without God. But with God on our side and full dependence upon him, who can pull down the strong arm of Almighty God tonight? Amen. Give God the biggest hand of praise if you believe that. I've got to do this quickly. Go to Acts 12, if you would, please. Look to your neighbor and say, he's preaching tonight. Would you do that for me? Well, I do appreciate that. Thank you. Amen. In Acts 12, there is a showdown to see who was in control. I want to say this again because of the tabernacle. God yields his glory to those that understand the importance of his glory. But God's glory will not be stolen by man. You're not going to steal his stage. If there's gross sin in my life, he will give me a space to repent. And then sooner or later, he will reveal my sin. Not to bring shame to me, but to bring repentance from me. The shame is because I refuse to yield. Are you with me? In Acts 12, Herod is here. Herod is a king of self-exaltation. The goal of the church is to seek humility and to give glory back to God. Yes, the glory that God's given us. As we have been redeemed, we recognize that we need him. When we seek to exalt ourselves over God, we are not only in opposition with God's church, we're in opposition with God's plans, but we're also in opposition of God himself. In Acts 12, Herod hated the church. This is Herod, Herod the grandson of Herod the Great. The church was praising God, but Herod won the praise of man. Are you listening tonight? 
So the first thing he does, Pastor Smith, he has James killed. Once James is killed, they recognize his power and they begin to exalt Herod even more. Stephen had just been killed. Now James is killed or martyred and the church was somewhat in an uproar. They were fearful for their life. Herod's fame and popularity and power begin to grow because he feasted on the praise of man. He then said to himself, I like this. So I'm gonna find somebody else. But this time, through God's sovereign plan, he allowed two things, but he would not let Herod go any further. That's the good news about God. God will let us puff ourselves up like a fish for so long, but sooner or later, he'll put the pen in it, won't he, baby? Are y'all listening tonight? Herod's there now. He says, I'm gonna put my hand to Simon Peter. So the Bible says he has Peter arrested and put in jail, and he's still feasting on the praise of man. This man that preached on the day of Pentecost is now his prize trophy. He sits back on his royal throne. History tells us that he had a garment made. This garment, some theologians say was of silver. Others say it would just reflect the sun. He would go out in the sun before men and what would happen, the sun would hit the silver or hit his robe and reflect the light back to people. He was simply shining before men because nobody could touch him. He was exalted on his own praise, on his own self, on his own title that he did nothing to earn but just be born. I love people who have titles because of their birth. I always want to ask them, what did you do to get that title? Some of y'all get that on the way home. That's okay. That's all right. If you don't understand what that means, just ask Ron and Michelle. They'll tell you what that means later on. Because of your birth, you've done nothing but be born to a family that you didn't ask to be born to. But yet you something because of your last name, living off of what your great granddaddy did three generations ago. Come on, somebody, don't leave me by myself. Some of you leave me right now. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching to those who stayed home tonight. In Acts 12, they, now they want to bring him out. Herod says... I'm gonna exalt myself even more. Let's bring him out. Let's parade him around. Let's just lift us, lift me up some more. I want the praise of man. If you understand the backstory to this, he was also feeding the people in a time of famine. So they were coming to eat. He wants to make a speech, but what he doesn't know at the very moment that he's about to lift himself up to the highest pinnacle, the same angel that was working before is working now behind the jail scene. Are you listening tonight? Not only is there an angel at work, there's a church praying. There's a church praying so powerfully for God to release a man. The angel goes to work and taps Simon on the shoulder, escorts him out, chains fall off, doors begin to open. He walks himself now to the place of prayer, knocks on a door. A little girl by the name of Rhoda comes to the door. He says, let me in. She says, I think they're praying that God will release you. He says, God's already released me. She goes, tell the prayer room, hey, I think he's at the door. They say, who? The one you prayed for. They say, oh girl, you lost your mind. They wouldn't even believe in what they were praying for. Are you listening tonight? She says, no, no, I, I don't think it's a ghost. He keeps knocking on the door saying, let me in. That same time you understand that God is still in control tonight. Herod then wants to keep itself exalted. He doesn't know what's going on behind the scene, so behind the scenes, so he now goes to the forefront and he lifts himself up. 
His robe is so beautiful. The sun is glistening off his robe so much that they now begin to say, the voice of God and not the voice of man. And that was God's last straw. God said, no, 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 no. There's only one God and it's Jehovah God. The Bible said it touches him and he dies and the worms eat of his flesh. I come to let somebody know you can't praise flesh and praise God. That flesh must die. If you try to keep flesh alive, you will push God away. But if we crucify the flesh and walk in the spirit, we will attract God himself into our life. And that means tomorrow when I need to fight a battle, I don't have to fight on the power of Neil Nolan, but I fight in the power of the third person of the Godhead, God Almighty, because I know I say like this, God, I can't do it. I can't be with my son. I can't be at that hospital. God, I can't do it. But I know you can tonight because you're almighty God and you're able to do what I need you to do tonight. Come on, give God praise if you believe that. I got 14 minutes. Look to your neighbor and say, he's got 14 minutes. Let's go to two. So you recognize there comes a point that one will die. Your flesh must die. God will give you a space to repent and then sooner or later, (laughs) I want to be careful. I don't want to meddle. I'll move on. Point number two. Not only does your flesh have to die, but the church leadership here, we must walk in humility. And I'm saying everybody in here tonight is a part of church leadership. And Acts, as I read to you earlier, Acts 17 there, 20, excuse me. Paul begins to talk about his missionary journey. The book of Acts is a fast-moving account of the gospel through the Roman Empire for 30 years after Christ's resurrection. In Acts 18 and 23, Paul sets out from Antioch on his third and final missionary journey. He's heading back to Jerusalem. He stops in a place called Miletus. When he gets there, he's about 20 miles south of Ephesus and he sends for the elders of the church according to verse 17. Paul's words right here are powerful because he doesn't play games. This is the last time maybe that he's gonna pour into their life. He's in a hurry to get to Jerusalem by Pentecost, so he's not having time for games. He's not not having picnics. He's not eating watermelon. Everything has a purpose and everything has a meaning. He sends for this 20-mile journey back to get the leaders, and as they're coming back, he has something to say. He looks to the elders and he has a message for them and to the church. And that's why Luke writes this and he pauses every story to show this to us and to give this news to us. Because in this chapter that I read to you, you will see two things, Paul's heart and Paul's theology. And they're one and the same, his heart and his theology. And his heart and his theology to the church at Ephesus will be relayed to the elders because if he knows the elders receive it, they will pass it on down to the laity and the laity will pass it on down to another generation. And he begins to say this to them. He wants them to understand this fact. There are three things that he points out. I will touch on one tonight. What Paul is saying that if we're going to do the work of the Lord, 
and we're going to serve him. We must serve him in the spirit of humility. Verse 19 there, thank you. Serving the Lord with all humility. Paul says, if you're going to work for the kingdom of God, this is not, this is not the grand old opry. This is not the house up here in Oconee that we have uh, services and singings. This is not the voice. This is not American Idol. This is not the Academy Awards. This is not your mama's house. This is not your grandma's house. Your mama says you're the best thing since sliced bread. You're not going to get that from the church all the time. You understand? We all have different gifts. He says if you're going to work in the kingdom, the first thing you've got to do, you've got to have a lowliness about you or a spirit of humility about you. Can somebody say amen? You can't work for God without being humble. I'm going to say it again. You cannot work for God long without being humble. You're not going to steal God's glory. Well, Brother Nolan, I sing better than anybody else in the church. Let me ask you something. What did you do to get that gift? Did you buy it? Did you make it? Oh, I know you went to Lee like I did. I know you've been practicing. I know you got every move down. Pat, bless your heart. You look like the Elvis of the North Walhalla Church of God. That's wonderful. But what did you do to get that gift? Did you put that gift inside of you? Did you open it up at Christmas? Did you blow on it just right? Did you rub the genie? What? You did absolutely nothing. It is God's divine sovereignty that puts one gift in another man and puts another gift in the other. I wish God would give me the ability to do things with my hands, to create my hands. I cannot create anything. The best thing I can create is a tomato sandwich. <laughs> Are y'all listening tonight? I don't know where that came from. Anyway, but I do have some gifts. I didn't do anything to get those gifts. So for me to now to stand up and exploit my gift in the church, to belittle you or take from you is unscriptural and ungodly. I don't care how many titles I have in front of my name. Some of us have more titles than we do towels. We have so many titles. We're, we're so anointed and so many titles, I can't even tote my Bible anymore. I gotta find somebody else to tote my Bible because I, I, I'm just so talented. Well, goodness gracious. 19 years ago, almost 20 now, I didn't even know him. I was a drunkard. But now because he gave me a gift and I recognize it, I, I, I can't even preach at your church unless you have me a, a certain type of water because I think I'm just somebody now. Sooner or later, God's gonna share with that man or woman and say, I'm not gonna share my glory with you. I'll pull back my anointing and while you're so busy promoting yourself in the mirror and making sure everything's just right, I'll pull back my glory. The sad part, Pastor Wade is, most ministers and singers and church members never recognize that he's lifted. Y'all quiet in here, don't get quiet tonight. We must yield to the spirit. We must have a spirit of submissiveness about us because we recognize that all of us are indebted to the grace of Almighty God. It is the opposite of feeling that everybody owes you something. Listen to me, you are not owed anything. You've already received the best gift and that is the grace of Almighty God. That's what I love about people that just get saved. They don't have demands. They don't come in saying, preacher, 
I want you to wear a blue suit because I think a blue suit looks better than you. No, they don't care if I have a suit on. They're just glad they're saved. They were drinking and drunkards two months ago, DUI a month ago, and now they feel the grace of God. Only thing they know is God's been good to them. Folks, we can never forget. We need a spirit of humility back in the church where we cry out to Almighty God and we let him know one more time, God, we can lose everything, but we can't lose your presence. We can lose the preacher, the singer, the pews, the air conditioner. We can lose the greeters and the ushers, but do not take away your presence from us because if you do, this is nothing but a meeting house. This is nothing but a country club. This is nothing but a restaurant. You listen to me tonight. There are churches all around us. They meet, but God's not there. They eat, but God's not there. Their church is no different than a restaurant down the road. Why? Because they exiled God. They pushed him out of the church. He can't move. He can't come. He can't see. We put him in a box. I say one more time, come Lord Jesus once again. Push us to the this is your church you have your way in your house and let your glory come in this place listen to me with that humility I want to I press it what is humility humility let me, let me say let me go a little closer what does humility look like at North Wahala here's point number one on this humility looks like God gives all the credit Go home and call somebody that's not here and tell them that. God gets all the credit. Anytime I'm with Brother Hager, somebody says, man, churches don't understand how hard transitions are. I said this on Pastor Appreciation Day. Go through the Church of God in South Carolina and look when there's transitions. Look how many stay strong and look how many drift back. It's tough because... It's tough because you, you, you fall in love with somebody. And next man may not have the same vision. The good news about me and Scotty, or Brother Hager, whatever you want to call him, we have the same vision, same heart. The only difference is I look better, he sings better. That's the only difference we have, okay? You can tell him I said that. A few time, places late, lately, we've been at the same place, and somebody said, man, North Wahala's still doing strong. And I said, yes, yeah. so and we've sent out some people. We've sent out the Duncans. We miss them. Wish we had them back. And I said, we sent out about five families last summer, but God is still blessing us. And we're burying a lot of people, but people still keep coming in. I said, but I want to tell you, I said, I followed a good man, a good man and a good woman who laid a great foundation, and we're just following that vision. And then quickly he'll say, he needs to stop that. He's a good preacher and he loves people. He'll say something like, he has a touch of ADD, but he's a good preacher and he loves people. And I say that, you know why? Because I don't care. He's my best friend. I want him to get the praise. He's a good man. He has a pure heart. If he gets the praise, I'm not mad. I'm not mad at all. I'm glad. I want him to be the general overseer of the church of God one day. I'm telling you that. I don't think he left North Wahala to stay in youth ministry long. I believe God is going to use him because I know his heart. Ronnie, I know his heart. And I know he loves God and loves people. I know now when he's praying and crying and he's talking about things that you don't know about and asking God, I know this man. I don't have to be that. One time they called me and they said, Neil, many years ago, they said, we want you to pray about a position. I said, okay. And they said, the other person that's going to be up for this position is Scotty Hager. And I told him, I said, you take my name out of it. He said, I, I just asked you to pray for about it. And you told me you would. I said, yeah, but you told me who the other man was. 
He said, I don't understand that. I said, he's my best friend. I will never go against him. I said, if God wants to get me somewhere, he'll never pin me against my best friend, my prayer partner. That will never happen. So pull my name out of it. Another preacher rebuked me. He said, you shouldn't do that. You should try to climb a ladder. I said, climb a ladder? I'm going to step on my friend to climb a ladder? That's not friendship, folks. I don't have to get credit for it. I don't have to. You know what? He doesn't want credit for it. You don't want credit for it. Humility looks like this. When we all come together and say this, he gets the credit for it. How does a church stay alive 103 years? How many churches you know of that's been alive 103 years that God is still moving and people are being saved? It's not many folks. Why? Because of him. Oh, let me tell you, there's some good saints that have passed the baton to me. There's some good preachers that have passed the baton to me, but he gets the glory. Humility at North Walhalla, 1 Corinthians, and I'm not gonna read this because of time. 1 Corinthians 26 through 31 says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul told the Corinthian church, quit bragging on yourselves. They said, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Neil, I'm of Scotty, I'm of the overseer, I'm Baptist, I'm Presbyterian, I'm Church of God, I'm Catholic. And Paul says, listen, if you're gonna brag on anything, brag on Jesus Christ. That's what humility looks like. Be careful when they start praising you too much. Everybody likes a little pat on the back. It's just when they start rubbing you down that you gotta be careful for. You don't believe that? Luke 14 says, if you want to have a crown worthy, you know what he says? He says, quit scratching each other's backs. He said that. He said, quit giving to the rich man or your buddy cause you know in return that they're gonna give it back to you. It would be like me saying, Nikki, I, I don't wanna tithe the North Walhalla anymore. I feel led of the spirit to give you my tithes, which is not scriptural, but I, my offer I give to you and your family. But I'm not gonna give that anymore. I feel good, I feel led to give you my tithe because I'm just a great spiritual person. But what you don't know, me and Nikki's got this little thing going on. Nikki's already told her husband, she says, if we say that God has, has told us to give our tithes to Brother Nolan, we still look, script, look holy, right? We're dropping the white envelope in the plate. And you know how some people that do it, they want you to know that they give it, so they wave their arm like this, right? But what you don't know is, I'm giving mine to hers and she's giving their tithe dollars to me and Jess and it looks like we're holy, but the only thing we're doing is two families scratching each other's backs. Jesus said, if you wanna do something, find the poor, the lame, the blind, the lowly, then thou shalt be blessed. Humility at North Walhalla, two minutes. First of all, it looks like God gets the credit. Second, we gotta recognize that God's in control. James 4, 13 and 17 speaks of boasting again, not boasting in arrogance. And when we boast in arrogance, James said it is evil. What he wants you to recognize is this, that whatever gift we have is because of God's divine sovereignty. James was letting them know that God is the one that controls your life your life is like a vapor. If you have a gift, God put it there. So humility at North Walhalla, God gets the credit because God is in control. Hello? Tomorrow, you left uh, your aunt. Brother Smith, your aunt dies. She's 130 years old. She dies tomorrow and she left you $30 million. Now don't walk around here Sunday like you're puffed up. 
But I do expect you to buy my lunch on Sunday. What did he do to deserve that? Oh, he's a good man, he's a godly man. But it's God's sovereignty that placed him with Aunt Sue. He had nothing to do with that. So how can he boast about what he has? Only thing he can do is say, God, you've been good to me. Lastly, as I close, not only does humility look like God gets the credit, God is in control, but humility always serves. Philippians 2, Jesus said, he thought it not anything. Thought it not robbery with God to be equal with God, but what did, it, what did he do? He took upon the form of a servant. Humility always looks like serving. You can have my seat. You need food? Hold on, we'll, we've got food in North Wahala. Your child needs clothes? Oh, we've got clothes. Yeah, we'll, we'll get you clothes. Humility is not, well, I'm somebody. If they would have just worked harder, if they would have been this, we can't play those games, folks. We gotta recognize God's been good to us. And if God's been good to us, we need to be good to them. But brother, all the people are gonna take advantage of us. They do it every day. But you know what? That gives us no reason not to go the extra mile. Would you stand with me tonight, please? I want God's glory in my life. I wanted to talk about forgiveness. We'll pick up there next week with humility. You need to forgive tonight. You know why? Because God says if he forgave you, you've got to forgive them. People that walk in humility know how to forgive. We'll pick that up next week. I feel like preaching it now, but I don't have time. Forgiveness will not keep a record of wrong. Bible says true love doesn't keep records of wrong. If you're a spouse and you're going back to 1943 and telling what your wife did, you know you wrote off of my cousin that Model A Ford, you can't do that, right? Humility says neither one of us are perfect, but God's grace has brought us this far. Brother Noah, what are you asking us? Stay in love with Jesus. Desire him more than the world. Realize that none of us are perfect and we need him and you'll be okay tonight. Amen? Amen. Pastor Smith, if you'll go to the front door, please. I'm gonna let you greet the people as you're leaving. I want you to continue to be in prayer for Sister Doris tonight. I, I, I turned my phone over earlier because uh, a bunch of messages were coming in for people that are sick. Uh, but Sister Doris needs a special touch. I'm believing uh, that God touched her when we prayed. Also, uh, Sister Williamson, this is David's mother, Tracy's mother-in-law. David and Tracy are faithful in our church. They're there tonight. Pastor Godwin and Denise, all those are at St. Francis. The other ones are at Greenville. Reach out to them through a text message and let them know you're praying for them tonight, okay? Amen. God bless you. Sunday school, Sunday morning, preaching right after that. We love each other. Hug somebody's neck, shake somebody's hand. We'll see you on Sunday.